Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Awesome. Let's stand and find Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse number 18. And let's look at this wonderful passage of scripture and continue in our study of the book of Acts. I'm grateful for the church. I'm grateful uh, for what Christ is doing in his, in his church. And this morning as we uh, learn... Uh, from the book of Acts, we're going to discover how that Jesus Christ nourishes his church. He nourishes his church. Acts chapter 18 and verse number 18. Let's read together there. Follow along as I read. And Paul, after this, tarried yet a good while and then took leave of the brethren there in Corinth. It was after kind of a, uh, a public scuffle when he was brought before the, uh, the Bema seat. And uh, Galileo, the governor at that time, he did not care about uh, the Jews' contention with Paul and basically said, uh, I'm not going to do anything with it. And so after that, he had tarried in, in Corinth for a while, and now he's moving on and sailed thence into Syria. He set his sails. He was going towards Syria, which is his home area. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, and having shorn his head in Sincrea, uh, uh, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left, there, uh, and left them, Priscilla and Aquila, there. And he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry long, uh, a longer time with them, he consented not. He basically, the idea is he kind of nodded like, it's, it's not possible. Um, and so he goes on in verse number, verse number 21, but bade them farewell, saying, I must... By all means, keep this feast uh, that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he landed in Caesarea, just north, uh, northwest of, uh, of Jerusalem, and had gone up to Jerusalem and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, that's in Egypt, an eloquent man and a mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John, it's John the Baptist. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, that's over in Corinth, uh, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them with much uh, much which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. 
Why don't you look at verse nine, uh, uh, chapter one, chapter nineteen, verse one? And it came to pass that when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples there, he fulfilled his promise. Let's ask God to bless the word today, Father. We ask that you'd help us today. Would you guide our words? Guide my words. Give me clarity. And I pray that this time in your word would be effective and meaningful to each person here. And I pray that you would nourish us as your church. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. So the setting here is Paul is, is about ready to leave Corinth. Uh, he had, as was normal, there was opposition that happened there in Corinth, but he's about ready to leave Corinth. He's, uh, he uh, walks to the coast or rides a donkey to the coast. I don't know how, but he gets to Sencrea. He gets a haircut because evidently at, at some point along the way, uh, it, it's thought that he might have taken a Nazarite vow and that he had let his hair on to grow, but he's getting a haircut before he leaves. He gets it shorn before he gets on the boat and he's headed back towards home. He's going to uh, you know, finish out this stretch of the second missionary uh, tour and he's heading towards home, but he's going to make a stop, a layover in our lingo, a layover in Ephesus. So the ship was going to stop there at that seaport city. Now we need to understand a little bit uh, about the time. Just understand, as we said last year, this is about 13 years after Paul had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a good many years after uh, the church had been started, uh, after Jesus Christ had died and uh, resurrected and gone back to heaven. And so uh, we're, we're here in about 49 AD, and he's coming to the end of his second missionary journey, and he's uh, finding himself in Ephesus. Ephesus was, as I said, a seaport city. It was a major commercial port. Uh, there was much that was going on there. It was a Roman city and uh, probably a population of about 250,000 people, and it was made the capital of the Roman province of Asia, that region of, the, uh, of Asia Minor, uh, where the, the seven letters to the churches are written in Revelation. It was made the capital of that, that region um, by Augustus, and, uh, uh, who was uh, serving about 27 B.C., uh, it was located on a river on the coast of the Aegean, uh, Aegean Sea, and so there it had a harbor that came in, an interesting harbor, though it was a, a commercial port, they had to constantly be dredging it because the, the, um, the tide was not strong enough to carry out the silt that was inside of the, the harbor there. Um, it had an interesting ethnic uh, uh, makeup, it was, it was many different ethnicities that were there in, in uh, Ephesus, so uh, it was kind of a diverse, a diverse uh, population that was there. And they were as well very diverse in their religion. Uh, they were very, very broad in their religion. In fact, the major religion was the, uh, the religion or the worship of the goddess uh, uh, Artemis or Diana. And there was a, a large temple there, uh, one of the, the seven wonders of the world, a large temple there. This is a reconstruction of it or a re, uh, you know, a, uh, an imagination of it. Uh, and multiple, multiple pillars holding up this, this large, uh, this large uh, roof system. In fact, as Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, who was pastoring there in Ephesus, when Paul said, you are uh, you're to know how you are to behave yourself in the church, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth, do understand that he was using something that would be very understood there in Ephesus because they saw the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It was uh, very prominent there in the city. And so the church, not 
not the, the worship of Diana, not the worship of a false god, but the church, the, the called out assembly of the saints is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so there's a lot of amazing buildings there, many that, uh, uh, that uh, had to do with the religion. There was one uh, amphitheater or uh, theater that sat 24,000 people, large, uh, large for that, that day. And uh, there was evidence in the city that the people of Ephesus worshipped over 50 different gods. And you say, well, that's, that's amazing. You know, there's a lot of different gods that America worships. And we just don't, we don't, we don't put them in god shops and sell them. Idol shops. Uh, they're in Best Buy. They're in Walmart. They're in sports arenas. Yeah, they're on ESPN. Lots and lots of gods. We are a sin-sick nation that must turn back to God. In that day, uh, in Ephesus, Gnosticism was a religious movement. It basically elevated knowledge as what saves you. And again, we even see that in our day, this idea that you know, higher knowledge is what saves you. You will not think your way into heaven. You will not reason your way into heaven. Salvation is by faith, through grace, there is no other way to heaven. You will not get there because you're super smart. You will not get there because you're super educated. In fact, if that was the, re- the way that you got into heaven, heaven would be nothing more than everyone just kind of gloating, I'm here because I have a higher IQ than you. There will be no glorying in heaven. The only glory that will be in heaven is the glory of God himself and the glory of the Son. That's the only uh, one that will be exalted in heaven. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I'm really thankful because I'm not, I don't have a super high IQ. I'm really thankful that, you know what? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, aren't you? It doesn't matter. The ground is level. And, but in that day, there was that teaching that if you have a if, uh, high knowledge is what, what, would, what would save you. And so along with many other gods, and, and, and in fact, they, they worship Caesar there as well. There's a practice of magic, which we'll get to in the next chapter. There's a lot of de- a demonic activity. Uh, in fact, a few decades after Paul left Ephesus, a major plague hit the city. And because their, their understanding that they thought that uh, all sickness and disease was, um, was uh, demon-driven, so they called in an exorcist. Uh, to deal with the, um, the plague that had hit the city. And it's just so much uh, confusion in the area of religion. But here's the amazing thing about it. Jesus led Paul to that specific city to plant a church. And I want us to realize that the building, uh, the birth and the building of a body of Christ, a church in a locality, in a local uh, place, in a city, in the midst of a very wicked and perverse world is nothing short of a miracle. And it is, as we have titled, subtitled this this series, it is a triumph of Christ. When God goes into a city and gathers a people for his name and they begin assembling and praising God in song and praying together and seeking the face of God and growing together and going out together, it's it's nothing short of a a miracle. And to us, it's humanly impossible to think, go into a a place where there is no gospel preaching uh, uh, church or where there is not the light of the gospel or a clear light of the gospel. And to see God do that, it's overwhelming to us, but it's just what Jesus does. He moves his followers and places them and, and he puts them in a, in a neighborhood, in a, in a city, and he says, I want you to shine brightly for me. That's just what Jesus does. 
And it is his triumph when he does that. And we're reminded of his promise upon this rock, upon who I am as Jesus the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Death itself will not prevail against it. So Paul's at the end of his second missionary tour of going about and seeing all these churches started in different places like uh, Lystra and like Thessalonica and like Pamphylia and Berea and Corinth and all these places where there's such a dominant darkness and there's such a, a confusion of religion and all these different, different voices saying, believe this and go after this way and, and worship the emperor and so on. But God is calling out a people for his name and, and building his church, beginning and building his church. And I find here in Ephesus, especially a wonderful picture as God develops and um, um, births his church and, and then begins to build it through the ministry of Paul, Aquila and Priscilla, and then this man that just comes on the scene, Apollos, Apollos. And then the church itself is, it, it gets involved in encouraging others uh, in the faith and, and building up one another and edifying one another in the faith. So let's first look at the birth of this church in Ephesus. No, Paul's been on this missionary journey uh, just doing that, building churches or planting churches. And so I want to just take a moment and define again for us, what is church? Is it this building? Is it the brick and mortar? Yes or no, friends? All right, this side really has it. Yes or no, friends? All right, so we understand. Uh, it's not the brick and mortar. In fact, it's not even the location. It's not 2901 Galewood Street. We are the church, and if you go through the New Testament, you're not going to find uh, where the New Testament is mentioning a church. It, it never once names the place of an assembly as a church. Now, it says the church is in a, in a house that's meeting in, you know, in, the, in the temple, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, define the church as, as the place. So sometimes in our American thinking, if, if you say, I went to church, I went to a place. Friends, that's not the New Testament concept, and we need to uh, allow the Bible to, uh, to guide or shape our understanding. Jesus says, I will build my church. My church. Now, it's interesting that this word that Jesus uses for church really was a term that Christ co-opted from secular, uh, secular writings. Uh, it was used in multitudes of secular writings, uh, and it was, it was nothing more than uh, to, to describe a meeting or a gathering, including a political gathering, a political body, sometimes just referring to a crowd, sometimes a crowd of unruly gathering people, People gathering and, and protest. He says, no, 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 I want you to know, I will build my church, my assembly. It's, it, it's distinctively mine, and it's not a, a location like, like the temple is. It's not a, it's, it's not a building. It is, it is my church, my assembly. So what is, a, what is a church? We should understand that the church is a called-out assembly of saved and baptized individuals from the world to Jesus Christ. A church is a called out assembly. And it doesn't stop there. Of saved and baptized individuals from the world to Jesus Christ. There's many assemblies happening today. Some people are assembling in bars today. Some people are assembling at restaurants today. Some people are assembling for meetings today. There's many different assemblies, but we are different in that we are a, a called out assembly of saved and baptized individuals, not because we're something special, not because we're perfect, not because we're better than someone else, we're saved and baptized, just 
bought by the blood of the Lamb, saved sinners, right? Amen? Called out from the world to Jesus Christ. That is a, a church. And so we're grateful for that. And I just want us to realize when, when in Jesus' day and in, in, the, uh, in the time of Paul, the church met in many different places and, and a lot of times it was out in the open. And they caught eyes. They weren't tucked back into corners like we are today. So many times we are so isolated from the world, we think, I came to church, I did my duty. Friends, the world, Jesus intended for the church to be visible to be out there and in the community affecting and standing up for life and saying, thus saith the Lord, and this is the author of life, the, the Lord of life, and, and he's the one that triumphed over the grave, and he wants to give you life, and he wants to change your heart. He wants us out there and present. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so we have this called out assembly, and Christ in this assembly is to be preeminent. Not one of us is to be preeminent in the assembly. We're not to get the worship. It's not about us, Colossians 1.18 says. He is to receive the preeminence in his, his assembly. How do we give him preeminence? Lord, what do you say? We're going to sing about you, not going to sing about us. We're going to sing about you. We're going to open up your word. We're going to let your word talk to us, and we're going to give you preeminence so that your word gets to guide us. We say yes, sir, to your word. Amen? Are you all with me on that? We say, yeah, he gets the preeminence in this place. We all have to do that, myself included. We all have to give him preeminence in our hearts. And you know what? We ought to make much of the church. Because Jesus spent all the rest of the uh, New Testament uh, just documenting, recording for us, delivering to us his specific instructions to the church. He says, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And then gives us all the epistles as just underscoring the doctrine of the church and doctrine of what he's doing in the world. We ought to make much of the church. I want to encourage you moms, grandmoms. Remember Timothy? He became the pastor in Ephesus later on. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures to which we are able to make thee wise unto salvation. You know, on Paul's first missionary tour, he goes through that area. He goes through Lystra and uh, preaches the gospel, gets stoned, right? Not a good time. Do you understand that in, that in that assembly of the saints, there was a young boy growing up. The next time Paul comes through was old enough to accompany Paul on his second missionary tour. And God began to mightily work in his heart. And later on, he becomes a pastor there in Ephesus. How did that happen? Because there's a mom and a grandmom that made much of the church, the called out assembly. And let me just really encourage you today. We think, well, I'm a good mom if I have you know, nicely done rooms and if I have my house all in order. Friends, you're a good mom if you make much of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean be sloppy in the rest of your life. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's your first priority is to make much of Jesus Christ. And I want to just take a moment uh, in, in, in this. I can, I can identify with Timothy in this that from the earliest remembrance, my mom was constantly encouraged of God. I saw it in her life. She wasn't perfect. There are times my mom came to us and said, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I appreciate that about my mom, but I know this, but my, my parents, they were consistent, and, and as I think about my mom today, she was consistent, and you know what? One of the things that she was consistent in doing is bringing me to church, and there was never, there was never a time, there was never a time, there was never a time 
there was never a time in my memory that we ever debated whether we were going to church. Everything was subservient. Why? Because, because we were that radical? No, because they made much of the church. What is the church? That is the body of Christ. It's making much of Christ. This is the living, breathing representation of Christ on earth right now. And we love Christ, so we're here. And friends, moms, can I encourage you, the world has all these different standards for you to follow. Make much of Christ. Make much of his church. Give your all. Just, just be all in. Don't let your children hear, oh, we got to go. No, we get to go. Get to close out the night before. Be, be excited about what God is doing in this place. Throw yourself into it. It will affect your, your children. And it affected Timothy. I am, I am personal proof. It affected my life. And I know there's many other stories in this place of how it's affected on, on children's lives. And so I encourage you in that way. The church is a called out assembly of saved and baptized individuals from the world to Jesus Christ. But let's continue on. Paul leaves Corinth and he goes to Ephesus. He goes to Ephesus. And as he's there in Ephesus, I want us to realize he brings along with him Aquila and Priscilla. And we have this missionary team, this missionary team of church planters. Aquila and Priscilla accompany him on this voyage. And it seems that they did not necessarily plan, hey, we're going to, uh, to, to stop and live in Ephesus. It seemed that when they got to Ephesus, Paul had it on his heart. Uh, no doubt moved by the Holy Spirit, he left them there. He departed um, from them there. He left them in that place. And so we find in Acts 16 and verse number 6, we find that originally on, on Paul's first part of the second missionary tour, that he was not allowed to go down into the area of Phrygia. He was not allowed to go down into Asia where Ephesus was. He was forbidden of the Holy Ghost. He went up to Macedonia. And uh, guys, if you can help me out with the map, he went up to Macedonia and he preached the gospel up there, Philippi and Amphipolis and, and, and Thessalonica and so on, comes down to, uh, to uh, Corinth and then gets to go by the leading of the Holy Spirit over to Ephesus, which is really interesting because now he's bringing along with them some faithful partners in the ministry that he didn't have before he's actually doubled in fact where is timotheus and silas right now where have we left them over in corinth so now notice this god is multiplying the laborers god knows god is amazing the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord and so paul was sensitive to the holy spirit at that point uh, and did not go and obey the Lord, and now he has another team that he's able to bring into Ephesus and leave there to undo the work of the ministry there. He says in Romans 16, verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. I love that. My helpers in Christ Jesus. Oh, we're just helpers. We're just helpers in the Lord. Whatever Paul needs. Whatever the church needs, whatever. And they were just helpers. And they loved the gospel. And they got behind the gospel. They were business individuals. They, they were tent makers by trade. Every boy, man, dad, husband ought to strive to be like an Aquila. Every, every girl, every lady, every wife, every mother ought to strive to be like a, a Priscilla. A helper in Jesus Christ. A helper. So there they are now in Ephesus, and here's this missionary team. Now, Paul didn't have much time there. It seems it was a pretty brief layover. I don't know if it was a day, two days, three days. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't very long. Uh, if you uh, identify with me, you know, trying to catch a plane very, very quick, and you're, you're on target. So when Paul just nods at them and says, I I'm sorry, I can't stay, and darts to the boat, 
to get on, and gets on the ship to go to Jerusalem, uh, you kind of get the sense. This was a, a pressured, um, he had to make that connect. But what happens there in what happens there in Ephesus? I want us to notice a miracle that happens. He arrives in a very godless town. I've already described the god- ungodlessness of that city. In fact, the worship of Artemis was the worship of the goddess of fertility. You understand, there is an enormous amount of godlessness that went along with that. Immorality was everywhere. You talk about a pornographic society, it was there. There was, no, there was no restriction on adultery, fornication. It was, it was just there. That was the city. That was the type of city in which he was entering into. There was no local church that was gathering together. And so where does Paul go? Where does he often make his, his first stop? Where is it? The synagogue. Why? Because there's an assembly there. And so he has a sense that these are people that have a basic understanding of the, the Old Testament. He's going to go there and try to win them to Christ to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he goes there. And shock of shocks, miracles of miracles, they receive him. Now, if you've been following this journey all the way through these different areas, almost every synagogue ran him out of town, cursed his name, and would even follow him to the next town and persecute him. Not here in Ephesus. They hear him reasoning, discoursing, uh, uh, considering the topic of the gospel, planting the seed like he did in Acts 18 and verse number 4 over in Corinth. He's just planting the seed, uh, watering it, encouraging the uh, consider the gospel and consider Jesus Christ. And they say, we want you to stay. We want you to stay. We want to hear more. And Paul, at that point, consented not. He gives them that not. This is literally what the word means. I just find that fascinating, that he just gives him a nod and, and says, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm getting on a boat. My boat's leaving. Here, see the ticket. My boat's leaving. And so he goes on his way, but we find there there's a hungry audience. Friends, when there's a hungry audience, that is God at work. That is God at work. We find in Acts 16, 14, uh, when it says of, of Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened whose heart the Lord opened. Friends, those are the people we're looking for this week, whose heart the Lord has opened. That's a miracle. That's a triumph of Christ. Whenever someone says, tell me more. Tell me more about Jesus Christ. Tell me more. I want to hear more. I want to attend on church with you. I, want, I, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't have hope like you do. Tell me more. Why are you happy when everything's uh, uh, so messed up in our world? Why are you happy? Tell me more. And so these Ephesian believers responded in verse 27. It says that there were disciples there. There were believers there. They responded and trusted Jesus Christ. A church is birthed. Why? Because a church is a called out assembly of saved and baptized individuals from the world to Jesus Christ. A church was birthed there in Ephesus. Very small, but it was birthed there. And may God lead us to hungry hearts this week. God has birthed this church. Uh, Next year will be 40 years that Grace Baptist has been right here Praise the Lord for that. He birthed his church, but we're not content with him just to to leave it this size. He wants us to grow. He wants us to uh, see people added to this place, and that is our vision this year. Lord, we want to win souls. We want to make disciples. We want to prepare for the harvest. We want to see you do a work. Uh, We believe that you want more, and so we're, we're continuing after that. Lord, 
lead us to the hungry hearts in the city of Kettering. Lead us to the empty hearts in the city that, that go to bed at night and wonder where they're going to spend eternity, that go to bed without hope. And, and maybe it's a single mom that's, that's just really struggling and, and they don't have hope. And, and lead us to that heart. Help us to make the connect with them and lead them to the Savior. Maybe it's a, a business individual. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a, 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 a worker, a, a factory worker, whatever the case is. Lord, lead us to those hungry hearts. We ought to continue to pray that God opens up the hearts on the UD campus like we started praying. Lord, would you allow us to see a, a church planted down in the, that area, down in downtown Dayton, that would minister especially to the UD campus. Lord, you've uh, answered our prayer about Hilliard, Ohio, but would you lead John Connor and the people over there to hungry hearts at Liberty Baptist Church? And Lord, we pray, uh, we're praying about Oberlin, Ohio. Would you open up hearts in Oberlin, Ohio? And would you allow a church that preaches the gospel to be planted in that city and, and, and to, uh, to be birthed and to be built? And so we pray for those open hearts like they found there in Ephesus. But let's move on. It wasn't just the birthing of a church. It's really great when we see a church birth. Three years ago, uh, Dayton Baptist Church was birthed. They celebrated April 3rd. They celebrated their third anniversary. Remember being down there at the Crown Plaza that night and, and the excitement of that and them, them going from the Crown Plaza uh, to meeting out in that, on the strip mall uh, up uh, uh, the, the, the far side of Trotwood and then God gave them that Jehovah Witness building and they, they painted it and they've made it beautiful. In fact, uh, we were able to supply them with some, uh, some things that we had sitting in, in storage that weren't, uh, wasn't being used and it's in use over there and, and just praise God for what he's done in that place and they continue to move forward and, and it's, it's exciting to see what God is doing uh, what God is doing there with Brad Burke up in, in Beachwood, Ohio, and, and how the church is um, growing and going forward up there in that, in that area, that uh, region of Cleveland. And, and we praise the Lord for what God's doing in, in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, under uh, Josh Levesque and the church that's up there just celebrating their first anniversary. God's opening hearts, and he, he leads people. We ought to pray, God, would you open the hearts? Would you uh, lead them to hungry hearts? But we want to see you, uh, we want to see you do it again. And we want to see you through us. We want to see you. You help us to plant a church in a city where there's hungry hearts and ready to receive the gospel. And um, friends, as we pray that, may we just not forget our neighborhoods and we not forget our own families. You with me? It's one thing to talk about it being done out there. We have to do it personally every single day. So this church is birthed. It's pretty awesome. But how's it going to fare? What, what's going to happen? Paul's going on to to Antioch of Syria. Paul's going on. How's it going to fare? There's, there's no pastor there. What, what's going to happen? And, and sometimes that's the question as we think about a church. How, how's it going to fare and, and go on? And I want us to know that Jesus Christ also, one of his triumphs is the building of his church. He promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God has a plan. And so what does he do? Uh, I want us to notice how that he used Paul to strengthen the church. And so we see Paul uh, strengthening the church there in Ephesus. But in verse 22, we see him going on. He lands in Caesarea. Caesarea is down near, uh, near Jerusalem. And he, he walks up to Jerusalem. Why does he walk up to Jerusalem? Because he's, he's north of Jerusalem, but he's walking up to Jerusalem. Going south, walking up to Jerusalem. Why? Because it's uphill. And that's the way the Bible describes it. You always go up to Jerusalem. You always walk up to Jerusalem. So he goes up to Jerusalem, and he meets with the church there, Pastor James and the people that are there. He meets with them there, and he encourages them. And then he goes up the coast, and he goes on, uh, on to uh, Antioch of, of Syria, which is his home church. That is his mission-sending uh, mission church. So he's up there at Antioch, 
and he is accounting there. He spent some time there. He reports, just like a missionary coming here and reporting. They report, Kim Heimer will be coming home in the next uh, couple months, and she'll, she'll report to us on a Wednesday night, and, and we'll hear what God's doing down in Brazil. And so um, this is what was going on. So there's this reporting going on, and then he goes back out. Luke, as the narrator, the divine, uh, uh, divinely used narrator, uh, kind of skips ahead out of time a little bit, and starts the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And he says, after he stayed there in Antioch for a little while, he goes over to Galatia, and he goes over to Phrygia. Now, what's he doing over there? He's going over there to confirm and strengthen the disciples. He's going over there to help them get grounded and rooted is the idea of the, of the, the word strengthening at the end on there of verse number 23. And he's strengthening the disciples, strengthening the followers of Christ. So at Jerusalem, at Antioch, in the churches at Galatia and Phrygia, he's strengthening the disciples. Friends, God uses God-called individuals like a Paul to declare the word and strengthen disciples. Friends, how important it is to be a strong disciple. There's all sorts of winds of doctrine out there, isn't there? The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 14 that it is within the church that we find stability, that we be no more tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know, those doctrines can come from the world. They can come from other preachers. They can come from YouTube preachers, TV preachers, podcasts, books, but it is the local church that's grounded in opening up the word of God like we're doing right now that helps us to be grounded and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That's exactly what it is, every wind. There's always a new doctrine coming down the pike. Always a new doctrine coming down the pike. And so it is within the local church that we find God helps us with that and gives stability. He is going there to ground them in the, in the, uh, in the faith. And I just want to just help, uh, help you and encourage you. Uh, allow the Lord to ground you in services like this but also allow the Lord to ground you through, through our growth groups, through Growth Point on, on, Sunday, uh, on, on Wednesday night. I want to really encourage you, as best as you possibly can, make it a point to be in church three times a week. And I realize work schedules con conflict with that, but you know that um, someone asked me about, about our Wednesday night services. They, they say, uh, it, it seems like you, you try to put as much work in your Wednesday night message as you do your Sunday messages. Why? Because it's important. The gathering of the church. And I don't know how many times it, it has pained my heart to come in here and to realize that there's, there's a part of Christ's church, not my church, Christ's church that's missing out on the building up of the word. Or how many times I've seen Christ's church in the building, but not in the, not in the place of receiving the instruction, in the preaching. And I'm being really transparent and kind of uh, lovingly uh, lovingly uh, talking to you today, but friends, it's not just enough to be inside the building. The word of God is what we need. And when we, when we give our attention to other things beside the word of God, we're in this place, but we give our attention to other things. Why? Why did we come? Why did we come? And, it, and it, I, I challenge you, allow God to grow you up. Allow God to edify you. This is the answer to our life. This is what we need every single day. This is, you ought, to, you ought to be conversating and fellowshipping all throughout the week. Text messages, phone calls, and so on. You ought to be encouraging one another all throughout the week. But as we come together, we have a purpose to, to elevate the word of God, hold forth the word of truth in this place. And so I encourage you, come back tonight. Let's get into the word. I believe God has a message for us this evening. 
Come back on Wednesday night. Let's get into the Word. You say, my work schedule doesn't work out that way. Could I encourage you to pray about it and commit it to prayer? Could you do that? Do you think God might answer a prayer like that and say, you know what? I want, I want to help my child be in church and gather together with the assembly. Do you think he would answer that? It's gotten quiet in here. Should I move on or should someone help me out with an amen or something like that? I could stay here. It is the, it is the truth. But friends, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You are hurting yourself by for, forsaking the assembly of Christ's body. You're hurting yourself. And yes, it, 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 it burdens my heart to see God's people do that. It, it really does. And it's amazing how many excuses that we can come up with for forsaking the assembling of, of ourselves together. It's amazing. We ought not, but it's amazing. And so Paul is strengthening them through the word. I don't know how many times, I'm just going to, I'm still here. I mean, how many times people have come to me and asked me for counsel, and I said, I actually just preached on that last Sunday, but you weren't there. I realize things come up. But it, I need everyone here to realize this, this is the, one of the main counseling places right here. When we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we're missing out on what God has prepared for us, not what I prepared. This isn't about me. It isn't. It isn't. God could as easily move me aside. God could take me out with a virus and put someone else in this place. It isn't about me. It is about Jesus Christ and your growth. And so I encourage you, allow God to strengthen you uh, and how important that is. Paul was being used of God to ground the believers. If you've not been through continued discipleship, I encourage you to be in continued discipleship. Uh, we'll partner you up with another person to go through discipleship together and go through 14 lessons on foundational Christian uh, lessons uh, of the Christian life, just foundational uh, issues. And uh, who is Jesus Christ? How do you know that? Where do you prove that from the Bible? And I, I want to encourage you to be a part of Continue. We're just finishing up our, our class um, from uh, growth groups on Sunday morning in Continue. And I, I'd encourage you, we'll do that one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I want that to be happening here one-on-one. -on -one. That's one of our vision points this, this year is to continue to enroll every single new, new believer. But you have to take the initiative in that. And can I ask you to do that? And so I'd encourage you in that way. Uh, Talk to us, talk to me right after the service, and uh, let's, let's see that happen. So Paul was strengthening the believers through his ministry. But let's go back, let's pull back in time, and let's uh, jump back into verse number uh, 25 here, 24, and see how that God was still working in Ephesus. Notice, and a certain Jew, Apollos, born in Alexandria, he comes to Ephesus, and Apollos taught. God used Apollos to teach the gospel, or teach the people to instruct them. Now, it's interesting, Apollos was an Alexandrian. He was born in Egypt, and uh, so uh, he was a Jew, but he was born there, and so he comes up to, to Ephesus, and uh, he, I don't know, it, it doesn't specifically state, but it seems that the Lord had, had directed him up there, so he's there. He's an eloquent man. He's, he is really good with his words, and uh, it seems that as a result of his own study, he has a 
forceful message. He has just a straightforward message that he's able to give. He's mighty. He was capable in the scriptures. And his spirit was not arrogant in any way. It was very, it was very humble. It says he had a fervent spirit. Literally, the word means in, uh, inflamed or boiling. Not boiling mad, but boiling. It was like it was just bubbling over. He had a fervent spirit. He taught diligently or mindfully. He spoke boldly, uh, straightforwardly. Uh, he would, did not beat around the bush. He uh, was honest in his teaching. And then it says that he was trained in the teachings of John the Baptist. What does that mean? I'm going to just touch on this and then we'll move on because we're going to deal with it in the next message. But understand, he understood John the Baptist's baptism, which was a baptism that focused on, focused on uh, uh, repentance and, and, and not identification. So he was trained in John the Baptist's teaching, and so as he preached there, he communicated that. But here's what I want us to get about Apollos. Apollos used the knowledge that he had. He used his present walk with God right now to bless, uh, bless the church. Friends, sometimes we think, well, when I'm really well educated, when I, I know a lot more, then I'll bless someone else, then I'll encourage someone else. No, Apollos, right there with the knowledge he had, he blessed the church. He taught. And God took care of growing him. So how, uh, how important it is for you right now? What has God taught you right now that you could use to encourage someone else? You say, I'm pretty new in the faith. What has God taught you right now? What did God teach you yesterday? What did God teach you today that you could go and bless someone with tomorrow? You see where I'm going with that? We're constantly, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be conduits, not containers, conduits. Taking from God and giving to others. Remember an old preacher said, sitting saints start to stink. When we just work a container, right here, we get stagnant. Now, God intends for you to take something from today and give it to somebody else tomorrow. And so the same thou commit, uh, commit to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. We're to build yourselves up in the most holy faith, but let's move on. So Apollos, Apollos is teaching. He's mightily being used there in Ephesus. But there's this couple, this couple, this missionary couple that's over there, and they're hearing Apollos teach. And, uh, well, they're, they're hearing Apollos teaching. It's not quite... It's not quite up to date. He's missing, he's missing an element. And so I want us to know Aquila and Priscilla encouraged. Verse 26, he spoke boldly and they heard it. They, uh, they understood that he was not quite, uh, quite there in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so he taught, he, he understood uh, part of the message, but not the full message. So they took him aside. They expounded the word. They articulated it. Uh, they, they clearly explained it. And uh, they helped him understand the, the way of God more perfectly. Uh, they helped him understand the gospel more perfectly. And so he was likely teaching just the difference between the baptisms. What I said, uh, John's baptism was about repentance. It was a baptism under repentance, preparation, preparation for the coming of the Lord. And believer's baptism was about identification, uh, really a testimony of salvation. And so they helped him. Now, notice this, they did not publicly shame him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He needs to stop right now. Uh, and getting with people and, and, and getting a click together. No, no, they didn't do that. Hey, why don't you come over for lunch? Why don't you go out to Panera with me? Uh, and, and let's talk about this. And they talked to him privately and helped him to understand. And you know what's amazing about Apollos? Is he listened and he grew and he moved on with the teaching that God had given to him. What an incredible individual. God was mightily using him because he was both a leader and he was humble. He was teachable. 
And God used him. And he so blessed the church. In fact, I just want us to realize that the words of Aquila and Priscilla were obviously seasoned with grace because they built him up. They encouraged him. They helped him be better. And he went on and, and taught the church there with what he had heard uh, as this teachable leader. He helped the church there so much so that the church now recommends him as his final thought. The church recommends him to Corinth. So, hey, uh, how did he know about the believers and their need to be rooted and grounded over in Corinth? Quilla and Priscilla are over there in Ephesus. And they're like, you know, we just came from Corinth and there's a new church over there. I bet they could really use the teaching that you're giving to us. Could you go over there? And so they write a letter from the church of Ephesus to the dear brothers over in Corinth. We have been so blessed by the ministry of Apollos. And we recommend that when he comes, you receive him in your midst, you give him an opportunity to talk, and you allow him to open up the scriptures and talk to you. It was like that. And so he goes over to Corinth, and he begins to encourage the brethren over there in verses 20 through 28. And there, uh, there are our passage ends. He so encouraged Ephesus that they sent him over there. And friends, the amazing thing is we had that same opportunity, the same exact opportunity. Boy, this message encouraged me. It really helped me to grow, really helped me to think about where I am with Jesus Christ. I want to give it to you. Uh, boy, I want you to come to church because I've been encouraged, and I want you to be encouraged as well. Friends, how we have the same opportunity to recommend. So here we find this, this, this new church that Jesus is building there in Ephesus is now blessing other churches as they're recommending spiritual help, spiritual lessons to them. Hey, Corinth, you really want to hear Apollos because it helped us and we believe it's going to help you too. And you see how Jesus, in multiple different ways, was using multiple different gifts, multiple different people to build up his churches, his local churches, you know what is amazing to me about that? Is he's still doing that today. He's still doing that today. And he does that. Members right within our church. He does that. Preachers come through. Boy, that encouraged me. Boy, that was a help to me. I want my friend to hear that message. I want my pastor friend over in that city to consider having this preacher come over because, boy, it just blessed us. You know what I'm saying? And how, how much of a blessing it is to see Christ building up his church uh, through the multiple different people, Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, the disciples there that are in Ephesus. God is building up his church, and he's still doing the same thing today. And here's what I'd like to ask us to do as we close in, in prayer this day. I'd like us to ask us to just pause and thank God for allowing us to be a part of this church, allowing us to be a part of what he is still working in, and praise him for nourishing his church, then giving us a record about it, and now that he's still nourishing his church through his word and through his work in the church, through his Holy Spirit, he's still nourishing his church. Aren't you thankful for that? Would you bow with me in prayer right there in your seat? Just stop and say, God, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this church. Thank you for nourishing us. Thank you for your word and how it, it guides us. And thank him in this moment. Before we go any further, would you pause and thank him? He is so good. He is the Lord of the church. He is the founder of the church. He is so good to us. How we love him. Can I ask you, 
Are you using the knowledge that Christ has presently given to you to encourage others like Apollos? Can Christ use your voice, your handshake, your hug, your prayers to encourage others with the knowledge that you have? When you spot another believer who needs to take a step of growth in their spiritual understanding, like an Apollos did, do you handle it privately and graciously like Aquila and Priscilla? Oh, how they were used of Christ to nourish his church just by encouraging Apollos. Maybe in your heart right now, you just say, Boy, Lord, I, I, I want to be just like Aquila and Priscilla. I want to be that to Grace Baptist Church. You pass on encouragement to other believers, such as a message, spiritual lesson that God has taught you, like the disciples at Ephesus did, to the believers there in Corinth. Do you encourage others with what God is giving to you? How many would say today, Pastor, I'm thankful for the salvation that Jesus Christ has given to me. I know if, if I were to die tonight that I'd spend eternity in heaven, not because I'm a good person, but because I've placed faith in Jesus Christ. Not in myself, not in my works, not in my baptism, church attendance, but I've placed faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sin and eternal life. You say, I know without a doubt that I'd spend eternity in heaven when I die because Jesus Christ has saved my soul. Is that your testimony today? Would you raise your hand to that? Amen. All over. Amen. If you could not raise your hand, could I encourage you to know that Jesus does indeed love you? And yet you and I, as human beings, are sinners before a holy God. His holiness cannot allow sin into heaven. A price had to be paid. He says the wages of our sin is death. It's death. Separation from God for all of eternity. And the very unlovely part is in hell. But God is loving. His holiness demands the penalty. But His love provided His Son to take the penalty for you. But God committed His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you admit that you're a sinner? deserving the penalty, the punishment of hell for all of eternity because of your sin against the holy God? Do you admit that today? Do you recognize that Jesus went to the cross and took your penalty for you, took your death for you? He died your death. He died in your place. He says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 16, 31, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust in him and what he did at the cross. Trust in the work he provided for you at the cross. Trust in the substitutionary death that he died for you at the cross. He died and was buried and he rose again. I can't save you. And no prayer that I pray can save you. Only you from your heart can believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and he rose again to pay for your sin. And he says, for whosoever shall call, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved.
I'd like to give you an opportunity if you have not yet asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I'd like to give you an opportunity to call upon Him. You might pray a prayer like this. It's not the prayer that saves. It is your heart belief. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are God. I believe you died for all of my sins and rose again. I confess to you that I am a sinner and that I do deserve hell. I ask you to be my personal savior right now. I place 100% of my trust in you. Come into my life and give me new life and to take me to heaven someday. I accept your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for keeping your promise and answering this prayer. With our heads bowed, is there anyone here today that say, Pastor, I, I have called out to Jesus Christ by faith. Not just repeating a prayer, but I've called out to him by faith. I've recognized that I'm a sinner and that he is righteous and that I need salvation from him. Is there anyone here today that would say, I've called out to Jesus Christ by faith. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Would you put your hand up and put it back down? I'll not point you out, but certainly would like to rejoice with you. Could I encourage you, if you're still struggling with that decision, the altar and the invitation is always open here at Grace Baptist Church. We want to talk to you about that. It's the greatest decision, most important decision you'll ever make. Our Father, we thank you for your people. We thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, in this place, we've paused to give you praise for birthing and building your church. Truly, that's a triumph that only you can do. And we give you praise for that. Lord, I pray that we as your people would value your church. And we thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? I want to encourage you. We're going to have some announcements and be on, on our way today. But I want to encourage you. I can't, I can't force you to, to put the church of Jesus Christ as a priority in your life. I'm talking to God's people right now and the members of Grace Baptist Church but he's worth it. He's worth it. What we're doing today is a lot more than just, just, just a simple gathering. This is his church assembling together for his purposes. He's worth it. And so I, I encourage you with everything I can encourage you with, let's give all importance to it. And uh, let's, let's be mindful of his church because it's his body. It's his body, and he's working in it.